Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 185. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation with this podcast. Let's jump in. I have got a few announcements before I get to today's conversation. First, I wanted to let you know that next week, there won't be a podcast on Wednesday because I'm moving to an every other week format. Yes, this has been a long time coming, and I have been resisting it like crazy because I've been producing a weekly podcast for almost three and a half years now. Yeah, the podcast started in late June of 2015. Officially, it was July 1st, but it actually started late June. Every week, every single week with a few special episodes in between and pulling back from that production schedule feels really weird. It feels like I'm letting someone down. And the reality is also that the more podcasts I produce, the more frequently I publish, the more downloads I get. That's just how it works. And as a result, the more likely it is that the Creative Sandbox Way podcast will become popular because it's a numbers game, right? The more downloads you get, the more downloads you get. At least theoretically. (laughs) And I confess there's some ego here. Part of me wants that. Part of me wants it to become popular. (laughs) And it hasn't really happened yet. But hey, one can always hope, right? So there's that. And the thing is, there's this other reality here. And that is that I am running a business. And much as I love producing the podcast, it doesn't really have that much impact on the side of my business that really is the bill paying side, which is my consultancy, Creative Sandbox Solutions. I have two sides of my business. I've got the B2B side, as they say, the Creative Sandbox Solutions, my consultancy, and I've got the B2C side, which is my online community, Creative Sandbox, the Creative Sandbox community, and my book, and the play days that I host and the retreats that I host for individuals. And the side of my business that the podcast impacts the most, the B2C side, the business to consumer side, the individuals, is not the side with the most revenue potential, shall we say. (laughs) So I took a good hard look at where my time goes and my energy goes. And a, a lot of my time is going into producing the podcast every week. And it just doesn't make financial sense. So I really... I just got to get sensible here. And I need to liberate more time to do the things that are going to have direct impact on my consultancy, which is like, that's like the logical thing. So creating content for the consultancy, things like that. So when I wrote my book, The Creative Sandbox Way, 
I did that in three months. I wrote the book. I I did have a lot of content that went into the book from before that period of time, but I, I did a lot of writing and all of the editing and all of the design work. And I had a lot of uh, a lot of illustrations from before that, but all of the book design and editing and uh, promotion and everything in three months. And in order to make that happen, I had to get ruthless about where my time and energy were going. And (laughs) I really have to do the same thing now in order to get this consultancy, the B2B side of my business, where I want it to go. (sighs) I've been resisting it, but hence the decision to scale back the podcast to an every other week format. I tend to be very black and white in my thinking about these things. And I was in a in a in a fit of of um down thinking i thought maybe i have to get rid of the podcast altogether and then i realized no i don't think i need to do that i think i just need to scale it back that way i can put more time into writing content that can become articles and speeches and other types of content that will actually help me grow my consultancy so that's that And in the same vein of growing the consultancy, I recently started a meetup group (laughs) with the very creative name of Creative Sandbox Meetup, which you can join if you are in the Silicon Valley area at meetup.com slash creative sandbox meetup. And the purpose of this group is to create in-person opportunities to introduce people to Lego Serious Play, and the other experiential play-based methods that I use in my consultancy in hands-on meetups. Because the reality is trying to explain them in words just doesn't cut it. People don't get it because they're so experiential. So I thought, why not start a meetup group and hold meetups? So if you're in Silicon Valley, you can join Creative Sandbox Meetup. Again, that's meetup.com slash creative sandbox meetup. And I'm holding meetups like Unnetworking with Lego Series Play every month and trying that out and seeing how it goes. And meanwhile, I'm continuing to hold Creative Sandbox Play Days just about every month too, including this Sunday. So if you're in Silicon Valley, come join me at Etzhaim Creative Sandbox Play Day. It's a half day co-working retreat to come together with other artists and writers and creatives and makers to create in community because we all know how hard it is to create in isolation all by yourself. So come get out of your house, come work on a creative project or just play with art supplies, yours or mine. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of art supplies that you can play with come work on something in the company of others. It's fun. You will feel so great at the end of the day. It's 10am to 2.30pm in Palo Alto, California, and it's just $25 for the whole day. You can go to creativesandboxplayday.com for all the details and to sign up. That's creativesandboxplayday.com. Playday, D-A-Y. So that is all the announcements for this week. I will see you again, not next week, but in two weeks with another conversation. 
and perhaps some more news, you never know. But now I turn you over to the main point of today's podcast, which is my conversation with Jenny Heffernan Brown, who is really the quintessential type A creative. That's the name of her podcast. And that's really who she is. And I know that describes a lot of listeners to my podcast as well. I first met Jenny in co-commercial, which is the online network for business owners that we both belong to. And I got to know her a little bit when she invited me on her podcast, maybe a year ago, several months ago, her podcast, the, the, the Type A Creative. And then I got to meet her in person back over the summer when I went to an event that she hosts uh, every month, I believe, called Creative Sunday Lab which was part of the inspiration for me to start my creative sandbox play days. And Jenny is such a huge inspiration for me, not only because of her creativity and her commitment to excellence, but because of how big she thinks. She thinks so much bigger than I do in so many ways. And it really inspires me to notice where I'm holding myself back, and to start to think bigger myself. And we talk about that in this conversation. And as you listen to Jenny's story, I'm really curious what resonates the most for you. And I want you to think about how you can think bigger about something that you want to do. So pay attention to that as you listen. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jenny Heffernan Brown. Jenny Heffernan Brown is formerly a co-founder of Primed Marketing. Today, she is a brand strategist and creative director and also the host of the Type A Creative, where I have been a guest. Type A Creative is a podcast for driven creatives, exploring how artists can build a thriving creative practice while also building a thriving career. Jenny's experience ranges from global brands such as Pepsi and Taco Bell to small businesses and creative entrepreneurs. And when she isn't creating a beautiful marketing and brand strategy, she's fighting for time to write and illustrate for herself and others through Creative Sunday Lab, her monthly work date for artists. Welcome, Jenny. Hi. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. <laughs> it's so great to have you. So we know each other originally from Co-Commercial, which is an mm -hmm. online community for business owners. Mm -hmm. and, and then you had me on your podcast, which was an amazing treat. And I got to go to, I think it was your first? Was it your first mm -hmm. Creative Sunday Lab? Which was an amazing, inspiring experience. Mm -hmm. And you are such a huge inspiration to me because what I admire about you is that not only do you take an idea and implement it, but you seem to have no, well, I don't know about, you might, not ha you might have fear about it, but you implement it in a big way. You take an idea and whereas I might think, for example, your Creative Sunday Lab, I know you have really big ideas for what, what to do, where you want to take it. And I have a tendency to have an idea about something and limit my thinking. So I might mm -hmm. think, oh, I want to get people together to create. And my, my thinking tends to go, how can I get people together in my living room? 
Yeah. Whereas you tell us, tell us, first of all, tell us about what Creative Sunday Lab is and your big thinking. Yeah. Well, thank, first of all, thank you. Um, I appreciate just that perspective because I don't always think I'm a big thinker. Like my own small thinking comes up in absolutely its own ways. And I'd be happy to give you specific examples. But so Creative Sunday Lab is, I, I call it a working artist date. And part of where it came from was in 2000, when I started my agency, 2014, 2015, I also was getting my master's of fine art. So I had this really beautiful structure in terms of what it, like I had deadlines, I had people reading my work, I had professors, like I almost want to think about it as two gardens, right? Like the, my business had a fence around it and a lot of support. And then my MFA also had a fence around it and all these structures inside of it. And when I graduated in 2015, I just found that like, I just didn't write anymore. It was really difficult to make the space and the time. And I felt like I knew a lot of people who were marketers by day and filmmakers by night or account managers by day and photographers by night. And I just wanted to know, like, how is it that they do that thing (laughs) and they're able to continue the momentum? So I had this notion that I learned from my MFA, which was the final semester, you basically, you you turn in what's called a thesis and you basically write a book is is what that is. You turn in a book-length manuscript. And that last semester, you just work on your thesis the entire, you know, 16 weeks or 14 weeks, whatever that time is. And the way I got through it was I had a girlfriend who would meet me in the law library every day, every morning. And by every morning, I mean like three days a week. (laughs) (laughs) But I still ended up writing about 100% more than I would have if I did it alone. And so like this little part of my brain was like, okay, great. When other people meet me at the table, I show up more consistently. I take my work more seriously. I have those other, you know, you have bad days and you're able to close the computer and to say to somebody, okay, well, you know, at least we did the work. And so sort of to flash forward to a couple years later where I'm now running this big agency. I had five people working for me. You know, things are amazing on the career side and I'm still not really doing the work. And so my question was, how do we sit at the table? Because I know doing this work is lonely the question where I feel like I think small is like, I look at maybe a piece of poetry or an essay that I've written and I'm like, I might as well not even submit this. It's not not even good. No one's ever going to publish it. Mm. And so Creative Sunday Lab was almost a gift to myself to get other people in the room to sit around and do the same thing. And so it wasn't so scary to hit submit or to write or to try something audacious. And so what it's turned into is we've only done a handful. And part of that is that scheduling can be difficult, but I try to have them the last Sundays of the month. It's here in San Francisco. And it's this collection of amazing artists of all different kinds. I mean, we've had podcasters, we've had writers, we've had you doing beautiful data visualization and illustration. There are people that will come and do poetry. There's somebody that came into jewelry. There's people who do painting and we all sit around the table and we all do it at the same time. And so you get this sort of access to this amazing artist community. But my favorite part is beginning to see the patterns in the creative process where the jewelry designer says, you know, I started this morning feeling really excited 
And then halfway through, I just looked around and everybody was working really hard and it got really, my project got, didn't feel like it was going the way it was supposed to. And I'm just really embarrassed and frustrated. And then you look at the piece of jewelry and it's gorgeous. And then you watch the painter say the same thing. When I got here this morning, it was great. And then I got stuck and everybody else seems to know what they're doing. And my painting is stupid, but it's amazing. And so like for me, seeing that happen over and over and over again helps me realize that we're not alone in those moments where it's really hard and you think it's dumb and you're like, why am I even doing this? Because you're surrounded by other artists who get to see your work for what it is. And they're like, no, that's not dumb. Submit that, put that online, keep making that jewelry. And I think to me, that's the magic of Creative Sunday Lab. And that's been such a wonderful gift um, that I didn't expect when we started getting together. I love that. I, I see the same pattern over and over again as well. When I get people to create, whether it's in an online space or in an in-person space and the five-day retreats that I run, my Creative Sandbox retreats, yeah. the arc over five days is very similar to the yeah. arc that happens over the span of a single day. It's so interesting how people always hit this wall where they think, mm-hmm. oh, everything I'm making sucks. It's so crappy. It's so awful. And what's so wonderful is when you're doing it in a community with other people, then you get that mirror back reflection from them that can help you see your work through their eyes and help you Mm -hmm. see that, oh, actually there's value here because they're seeing value in it. So maybe there's value to be seen. That's so profoundly helpful. Or even if you don't see it, And even if you have that part of you that's like, well, I don't really believe you, it keeps you going. Yeah. Right. Like it keeps you, keeps you poking at it or maybe walking around the project and circling it and asking questions versus if we're doing it by ourselves, usually that by that point, I've shut the computer, I'm no longer writing, I'm doing something else. I've lost momentum. A month goes by and people are like, Hey, are you writing? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Right. (laughs) And that's sad. I think as artists, like I think we have this fundamental question that's, if I'm a writer and I'm not writing, who am I? Or if I'm a maker and I'm not making, and it's not like this existential who I am I, but it's like this hunger that sort of lives like in our solar plexus. That's like, I'm not doing the thing. I need to do the thing. And I, part of why I think it's really important to have other makers who are actively engaged in their process is because the love and the momentum and the energy that you see between them and their process is completely infectious. It's totally contagious. And once you see them like in love with their own creation, you're like, well, I'm going to go make something. Yeah. It's super important. Yeah. And, and what you said, like we may not believe ourselves when somebody says, no, no, it doesn't suck. It's not horrible. We may not believe it yet, but if we get enough of that feedback yeah. over and over and over again, it starts to poke a hole in that yeah. sense of, no, 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 this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. It starts to poke a hole in that and, and we start to be able to question that belief that it sucks and yeah. get curious about that. Well, is that really true? Maybe it doesn't suck as much as we think. And that's so important. That's one of the things that I see as important about that community element. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you have some big visions for Creative Sunday Lab beyond Mm -hmm. just getting 
people together in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, flash forward, let's say five or six years. I don't know. Put a number in there. Flash forward into the indiscriminate future. I would love to have Creative Sunday Labs all over the country. I mean, one of the big models that I get very excited for is um, Creative Mornings. I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. them. But one of the things that I love is that they're an organization that meets on, I think it's usually here in San Francisco, it's Friday mornings. And it's like the second Friday of the month or something like that. Typically, it's always the same week. And they have the same themes. So every creative or um, creative morning in the entire globe, and they have campuses all over the world, or not campuses, but they have meetings all over the world. So Berlin, Australia, New Hampshire, they're, they're all meeting that week and they're all talking about a concept. And usually it's like pretty vague where it's like ugliness or grit or, um, I don't know what's another one that I've, that I've been to like big or small, or, you know, it's, it's like these very one, one, usually it's a one word phrase and they invite, you know, typically the local chapter will invite somebody to come in and speak and um, you get in and you, you just get this inspiring talk um, before you go off to your job. And what I love about their model is that no matter where you are in the world or in the, in the country, you're talking about the same thing. And I think there's something very comfortable or very comforting to me. Like I didn't grow up in the Catholic church, but I think the Catholic church works like that, where there's something like very connected feeling where it's like, I don't know the people around the globe but I know that everywhere creatives are talking about this concept of ugly and it makes me feel like I'm bought in to this bigger thing. And so I think that's part of what I would love Creative Sunday Lab to be like. I would love there to be Creative Sunday Labs all over the place where maybe it's the last Sunday of the month. You can pick your head up and realize, oh my God, there's hundreds of thousands of people who are creating. And that I just, I don't know, that to me would be wild. <laughs> I love that. That that's so inspiring to me because, like I said, when I thought a number of years ago, I I tried starting a meetup group, and I literally could not get past how to how to get people together beyond my living room. Mm. <laughs> so here you are starting this, you know, this vision that you know. Let, let alone this this idea of getting people around the globe, you got people together in a in a beautiful office space. It's gorgeous, and that helped me to think bigger. Yeah, where else could I meet besides my living room, which is you know can only hold so many people. <laughs> so yeah. I'm I'm great. You know what's funny? <laughs> you know what's funny is in that way. So I'm in San Francisco. My I, people had suggested like go small, do it in your living room, and I just felt like, no, I want this. I want people to spread out. Like I want people to have room to move their arms. And maybe some of it is like a byproduct of living in a. Like I have my house is great. It's actually quite large for the city. But like, you know, when I was just thinking like, could 15 people spread out? That was part of the reason why I went looking for bigger, beautiful office spaces. And it might have been, you know, had I had a bigger house, I might have said, sure, let's do it in my living room. But I really think doing, so Mux is the name of the company who's generous enough to host us. And 
when they opened their offices, they invested heavily in design and creating beautiful spaces. And I'm so grateful that they did because we get the opportunity to use that space and there is lots of space to spread out. And I'm really grateful that, that we get to be there. And I think, I think that adds something, you know, just having, having the space to move and being in a really creative, vibrant space that's clearly been designed. I think that adds something. It does for sure. It's really, there's something about being in a beautiful environment that I find really, really inspiring. I have another vision. I don't know if I've shared this one with you. Perhaps I have, and this hasn't been something I've talked about publicly before or at all, probably even with people who come to Creative Sunday Lab. But one of the things that I think would be really fun is to have a creative showcase where maybe after a couple creative Sunday labs, you maybe can invite your partner or your parent or your friends and we can have like, you know, in school you would have an open house and like your parents would come and they would like look at your work. I think what's one of the things that's hard is like to, to share your work, at least as a writer, you have to get somebody to agree to publish it or you have to get somebody, you know, you have like, if you're going to go to an open mic or I don't know, it's, it's, finding the right home for your work, I find is also a full-time job. And one of the things that I think could be really fun is just having like a creative showcase where we have people singing and we have people maybe reading things that they've written. We can have art on the walls. So that's something that I'm thinking about, about like, how do we make it so that the momentum we're building month over month is actually for something? I love that we're actually putting into something that we can invite other people to. Because I think the other thing I think is I think a lot of us are closet creatives where like everyone might know like, oh, Melissa's a writer, but nobody's ever read your work. Or if they have, it's, you know, it's, it's not something that they engage with. And so that's the stuff I think about a lot is like, how do we make it really fun to put your work out there and get other people to engage with it? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I love it. Well, the other thing that you do is you shine a light on creatives through your podcast, The Type mm-hmm. A Creative, which started out as, well, it was a way for you to feed your own creativity. Totally. Right. Can you talk about how you got started with that? Yeah. You know, it was a little bit the same, like sort of the same line of thinking as starting Creative Sunday Lab, although that came much later. I was doing my agency. And I just felt like I had a lot more to say as an artist, but the platform I was building in my business was really more about brand strategy and marketing, which I also love. Those things are great. (laughs) But, you know, I shared that agency with a partner. um, And so that was a, a shared voice with someone else. And she is not an artist or she's very creative, but you know, she's, she's not somebody who would necessarily, um, identify that way. And so I just felt the need to have my own platform and my own space to start exploring some of these ideas. And like I said, at the time, I was really feeling like there are artists in my life that do make time to paint or, you know, make their movies. Like, for example, I'm thinking of Ben Henretig. He's one of my favorite creatives because he runs a videography agency, but then produced an independent film on the side. Um, it took him five years, but he did it. And he, you know, took it to all these independent film festivals and it won all these beautiful awards. And so I think about people like him where it's like, how, how did he do it? I mean, five years is a long time. So like he kept the momentum going and he sat down when it was hard and 
I'm sure there were years of that process that it just, it was crap. And he felt like it was crap, but he kept going. So part of launching the podcast was to get people like Ben to sit down and talk to me about how they kept going. And I just felt like I wanted to pick them apart. And I also wanted to know about like, and this is something we don't talk about enough, but like, what was the blend of their livelihood? That's something I ask everybody on the show is like, how do you make money? Because I think for me, like my dad was an engineer and my mom's a school teacher and there never was a, an example in my life growing up of somebody who was an artist who was also making a livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always like on the side. or So I'm always just really infinitely curious to know, like, how does your bills get paid? And does your art hold that weight? Does it not hold that weight? Because I think there's merits on both sides. So I just, I always am really encouraged to hear lots of different kinds of stories from lots of different kinds of artists about lots of different ways that they're putting together their creative life. It makes me feel like it's possible. Yeah. So in a way, the type of creative was for myself, but along the way, I feel that I've you know, met this small thriving audience that also feels bolstered by the show. And that's been really lovely. And I'm curious how, where the type A creative fits for you in the art and commerce spectrum. Do you see that as purely something that you do for love or is that become like a business enterprise for you? When we launched it, it was just purely for the love of it. So I drafted up a budget. My husband and I are super serious budgeters. We love budgeting. (laughs) So I drafted up a budget and I said to my husband, I'm going to make this thing. I'm not going to make it alone. I'm going to hire an editor you know, because at that point too, I had been running an agency for a couple of years. So I knew I can do this all on my own, but I also know that that means I'm going to be like pulling my hair out at four in the morning (laughs) over over audio. And I did, I just didn't want to do that. So I was like, I'm going to make the show. It's going to cost us about this much a year. And the number had a comment in it. It was a big number. Um, and my husband was like, great. I fully support you expressing yourself. Perfect. So that like, first of all, just like gratitude and acknowledgement of my privilege that that was available to me. But I was also in a point in life where I had fought really hard for the ability to say to my creativity, like, I'm going to invest money in you and you may not invest back and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that really took me a lot of years of therapy and (laughs) working it out. Now I do make a little bit of money from the Type A Creative. So now it is sort of, I do have a bank account called the Type A Creative, which made me feel very official, but only because I'm making money, a little bit of money through Creative Sunday Lab. Um, I work really hard to keep the expenses low on that so that the, the ticket price can be, can stay low. And then any profits that I get towards that go back towards the podcast. So that's the only revenue that comes in is from Creative Sunday Lab and that goes directly to the podcast. Cool. Directly to the podcast. And there's a, it, there's a future where I may track down some sponsors or, you know, people if they're the right fit, but I've been, I've been slow and cautious. Like I don't feel the need to like, how does this thing become profitable right now? Because I think it's really more about connection and creativity and expression and artistry, which I don't need for my commerce. Um, I try to make yeah. that up over on the marketing side. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the marketing side, I know you just went through a really big change in the marketing side. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yes. So at the time we're recording this, I recently closed my agency with my partner 
And that was after five years. So that was a big deal. Yeah, I bet. So what made you decide that it was time? You know, this, this is a hard question and it's, it's like the obvious question for people to ask, but it's hard in that I wish I had like some pulsating symptom to be like, this was <laughs> terrible. Like, you know, Sophie and I are, we're great. We are great. She's a wonderful partner. We were making more money than we ever had. We had better clients than we ever had. Our pipeline was full for a couple of months. And I just, we both, I started having a feeling independently that there had to be more. And when I really started thinking about like, what's the future vision of this company? I wasn't coming up with something that I was really excited about, which usually we were always very, very excited. And I just felt like you can't see me, but I'm like moving like I'm constricted. And that was kind of the feeling that I was having is just like, there's got to be more, you know, whether it's learning, you know, coming to the end of a learning curve, we'd been on our own for five years, or whether it's being able to move beyond the boundaries of what we'd set up for ourselves at Primed. I just started feeling like there had to be more to offer. So I initiated a really painful conversation with Sophie and we both cried profusely. There was lots of weeping and it really, it felt like a breakup. It felt like saying to somebody, I think I want to divorce because by saying, I think I might not want to do this business anymore. It meant that she could, you know, like, right. you know, you're, you kind of break it for both of you. It's not like you can just keep, you know, one person doesn't get to keep going on as if nothing happened. And she took some time and she went away over the weekend and she came back and said, you know, I think you're right. And it's turned out to be a really phenomenal change. She's now the head of events over at the Hivery, which is a really lovely and thriving co-working space here in Marin. And, you know, I think, I think we both knew like somewhere in our bodies that it was time for a change. It was just really, really difficult to quit a good thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like normally we quit when things are bad, but I was like, things are great. I think we should stop. And she was like, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> wow. That's really impressive to me that you were able to make that move at a time when things are so good because of that. I mean, because it's usually so hard mm-hmm. to, to quit something when it's good. Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. That's normally not a move that I have. I'm like a committer. I'm usually the person that's like, I'm going to drive this into the ground and I'm not going to quit until like there's no blood left in the, you know, <laughs> screaming blood from a stone. That's usually how I am. And so I even surprise myself um, with that. But I feel like it's been a kindness because we've gotten to be really, you know, we, we get to be really honest with our clients and with everybody that we're like, yes, it's wonderful. It's not like, things are tense and terrible and the clients can feel it. And, you know, it just, it's been, it's been a really lovely thing. And I don't know, quitting while, quitting while we're ahead. Who knew? Yeah. It, well, it's interesting because <laughs> I've been recently, I recently read the book Essentialism, mm. which has been, it seems like everybody in my community of business owners has read it yeah. you know, long before I did. And I finally, finally read it. It was on my mm. list forever Mm-hmm. And one of the kind of mottos of that book is less, but better. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like clearing out your closet. That's one of the metaphors that's used in that book, mm-hmm. clearing out your closet so that you don't have tons and tons of clothes that you never wear. 
mm-hmm. but everything in your closet is something that you love. Yeah. And same thing with your life, right? That everything that you're doing, that you're spending time on in your life is something that you really, is a 10, mm-hmm. you know, on a scale of one to 10, not seven or five, mm-hmm. but 10, right? And just recently, I had three people in the span of like three days or something ask me to do illustration kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of been playing around with whether I wanted to get back into doing that in a, in a different form because I've been doing this visual communication kinds of things. And, and I, my body just was like, oh, that constriction yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I God, I really do not want to do this. Mm-hmm. And one of these people was somebody who I had had a conversation, like a, a sort of an informational interview, like what would that look like if I did kind of sketch note your business? And I felt so kind of guilty. I mean, it's faux guilt because I'm not actually, you know, I haven't done anything wrong, but to really feel guilty about, but guilty about going back to her and saying, I know <laughs> I don't want to do this. Yeah. But I also realized that she was one of these people who probably had read essentialism and would probably understand. And each of these three people, I, I said, no, I'm drawing a line. I realized I, the, the universe is testing me, right? The universe is testing me by sending me three people, boom, 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 who are asking me for something. I'm the one who has to set that limit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every single one of these people completely understood. Yeah. Completely understood. And what you just did recently is you set a very clear limit of mm-hmm. like, no, this is that everything's going great, but it's not exactly what I want right now. I need to figure out exactly what I want and go for that. Boom. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting too, is that this feeling of almost like constriction, I almost felt like we had grown I mean, I'm sure the business can always be bigger, right? You you can always, you know, yeah, sure. like there are Tarj and Tilly's and people out there who are great at figuring out how to like make new business models and all that stuff. So I felt, but I felt like we had pushed the business as far as we knew how to take it. And I felt like I personally, not that I had learned everything that there is to learn, but I felt like I was kind of coming to the top of my own learning curve. And so it wasn't for like the the hard part was, I love the business we built and I love the clients that we had. That was the hard part. That was the part that felt like I felt like we had this pristine, beautiful castle that we had built with every brick. And then we decided let's break it down. And it was like, Oh my God, no. But I realized that we can't go to where we're going next in the vehicle that we're in now. We've gotten as far as like, I mean, we may go more and you know, there's always a possibility, but I just felt like, whatever that thing is, that's not in this car. Mm. And so, and you know, I look at this with, with Sophie now being head of events at the Ivory and she is so exquisitely suited for that role. She is a wonderful person for that. But like, that was never something that the business that we made could have offered her in terms of like the skills she's using now. So maybe that's a small example, but I do think sometimes in order to get where you you want to go next, it does involve maybe breaking things down. Yeah. Well, that's, that's scary work. <laughs> it's, it is really scary. Yeah. yeah. You sometimes have to destroy something in order to build something new. Yeah. So yeah. what are you building 
now? I am in the throes of figuring that out. Um, <laughs> I, I wish that I, I mean, just because the marketer in me would love to be like, here are my beautiful talking points, but I actually don't have any. I'm, I'm doing some freelance work for clients. So I am, um, like you said, at the top of the show, I'm a brand strategist. I'm a lifer. I love brand strategy. It's so fun. It's so good. So brand strategy and creative direction for businesses. One of the things I just love doing is helping businesses tell their stories and connect with people. And that can look like design. It can look like copywriting. It can look like helping them think, think strategically. So that's one thing that I'm doing on the side for commerce or that I'm doing for commerce. And, you know, while that's not taking up 40 hours of all of my week, I'm spending just a lot of time thinking about like, what will that next move look like? Could I go to work for, you know, someone else or an agency? Do I want to build another business? And you know, I see some pretty clear paths for myself where it could look like another business. It could look like going to work for someone else. But I also just have this sense that it's whatever that thing is, I keep getting this image in my mind of like an origami unfolding. Mm. Like it's, it's gonna work out. It's gonna unfold. Like yeah. I don't I don't necessarily have to unfold it. It's it's gonna find its way. So I won't lie to you. Um super uncomfortable. <laughs> very many moments where there's been a lot of tears shed and I have a lot of moments where I'm like, what am I doing? But I think that's, that's part of transition. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly has always been part of transitions in my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what are you doing for love these days? For love? Yeah. Like creatively. Oh, I'm like, I'm married, but I love my husband. <laughs> I do that often. Um, um, creatively, you know, I I have really been love, like loving playing with Procreate on my iPad. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I love doodling. So I, like, I got my MFA. I'm a writer. I have a master's in writing. I'm, I'm actually a great writer but my writing sometimes feels really heavy. It feels like this place that I have to be very serious because I am collegiate and I am Jenny the writer. Whereas like when I'm on my iPad, I feel like a little kid because my, my style of drawing literally looks like 12 year old cartoons. It looks like something a little kid drew. And so it just feels fun. It feels like I get to sort of be over there and like color. And like a lot of times when I'm drawing, I will laugh out loud because... <laughs> I've drawn something that I'm like, this is hilarious. Or like the expression on someone's, you know, this little cartoon face will just make me laugh really hard. So I've been doing some of that. I've been practicing with that. Um, so at first when I got into illustration, I was doing it with markers on paper. It was really fun. I love it. But I had a very hard time like getting that digitized. It felt like there was this whole process where it was like, then you have to open Photoshop. And I was like, oh, I don't want to open Photoshop. I've been in Photoshop all day. I'm going to close Photoshop. I'll work with my hands. So my husband bought me an iPad Pro in February of last year. And that's been great because it makes the whole digitizing fabulous. But drawing on an iPad is really hard. It's a lot harder than drawing with a pencil on a piece of paper. This is what I hear. Yeah. So I feel like I'm practicing... I'm practicing iPad drawing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. It sounds like you're playing in the creative sandbox. Absolutely. <laughs> that is so cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some of your doodles. I don't know if they are your iPad drawings or older ones. I don't know, but I've seen some of them on Instagram and they are utterly delightful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I totally love them. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with them. Actually, so before we hopped on and hit record, we were talking about our, I'm remodeling my house at the moment. So those also like in the background, I have some personal stuff that's all kinds of crazy, right? Like my house is under construction and, but I actually use the iPad Pro as a way of mapping out a lot of the design choices. In my <laughs> That's correct. Because I have this contractor being like, do you want the wood to come to 60 inches or 68 inches? And I'm like, I don't really know the visual effect of that as a design. And so t- I took a lot of pictures of like places in the house and then I would like pull it into Procreate and make like a cartoon rendering of it where I'm like, well, this is what it would look like if we did it in drywall. And this is what it would look like if we did it in wood. And this is what it would look like if we did it in quartz. And my husband's like, oh yeah, the wood doesn't look as good as I thought. Let's go with quartz. <laughs> I did the same thing. I didn't have an iPad Pro, but I did the same thing in Photoshop when, when we did our remodel a year ago. I did so much rendering in Photoshop yeah. because you, I can't visualize this stuff no. in my head. It's no. just impossible. Well, I, I actually think that like the interior designer and the graphic designer are different birds because I feel like as the graphic designer, a lot of times I'm like, okay, will this cup look good next to this vase? I have to like take them into Photoshop and place them next to each other and be like, no, they look bad. <laughs> Whereas the visuals of the, the interiors is standing in the store and they're like, no, don't buy that. It won't look good. I have to take it home and like put it in my house. And Bad. <laughs> oh yeah, I I have to I have to actually see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have the idea in my head, and I can't tell if it's going to work or not until I draw it or render it in Photoshop or yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly, for sure. Yeah. So Jenny, uh, I think you brought something cool to share. I did. So yay! What you along the, line, along the lines of iPad Pro and um, learning to digitally draw, um, I recently, or when I first got my iPad, I took this really delightful class by um, an illustrator and artist by the name of Nick Squirrel. Which, for the record, I think that this is the greatest name of all time. That's an awesome name, Nick Squirrel. I, like, why, why, dear parents? I had, I want to pick a bone with you. Why am I not named Nick Squirrel? <laughs> so she has these really delightful illustrations. They, they're very much along the lines of, I guess, like how I draw. They're goofy. And she does a lot of color and a lot of pattern. But she's got this great class in Skillshare. And the class is called iPad Art. And it, uh, create a Monster, an Introduction to, to Procreate. Create a monster. Oh my God, I love that. It's really cute. People can draw their gremlins. Yes. And so here's why I like it is if you are learning Procreate or you know you're new to the tool, like when I got it, I was like, how does this thing work? So it's not a thing, it's not like a tutorial that's like, this is your color swatch, this is your this. They they actually take you through the program and they teach you all the functionality of Procreate through the process of drawing monsters. Oh so my God. Got all these little so cool. adorable, 
So the first project I ever made when I was learning how to use my iPad is like this little monster with like stripey socks and like holding his eyeballs. He's <laughs> really cute. So I, she was a wonderful instructor. Um, it's, it's actually, it's not a long class. I want to say like you can do it in maybe an hour or so, but it's a really, really great introduction for somebody who's new to digital drawing and feels maybe overwhelmed by, you know, getting to know their iPad like I did. That's fantastic. That's a fantastic something cool. I love it. Thank you. That really makes me want to get an iPad Pro <laughs> just so I can learn how to draw a monster on it. <laughs> I'm not saying that everybody needs one because I think you can work with the tools that you have, but I really <laughs> like having one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if somebody wanted to give me one, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> Let's just say. I wouldn't turn it down either. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Thank you for that. Terrific. Something cool. My something cool this week is a video, not Mm -hmm. not a tutorial video. It's pure entertainment video. It's very short. It is, I don't even know where I stumbled upon this, but it is a percussionist who is using, it's called Percussionist Tapping Real Tape, R-E-E-L. And it is literally what what it sounds like. It is a percussionist who is tapping that old fashioned tape on reels. You know, he's got, I don't know, like four like two or four. I can't remember how many real tape (laughs) sort of strung up and he's just tapping on them and they sound like this sort of electronic. Oh, interesting. And he's really good. And it's, it's very entertaining and it's, I don't know, three or four minutes long or something. And I just thought it was pretty nifty. So that's my something cool this week. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. Great. That's super fun. Yeah, it's really fun. So Jenny, this has been delightful. Uh, How can people find you online? Well, right now, because I'm going through a a transition, (laughs) uh, (laughs) print marketing is still up. It's primd.com. There's links there to all the things to get in contact with me, but where I'm really spending the most of my time is over on Instagram. And my handle there is just my name. It's J-E-N-N-I-H-E-F-F-E-R-N-A-N-B-R-O-W-N, which is way too many letters for a person, but it's what happens when you have two last names. <laughs> <laughs> I have to count up because it's my, 24. 24? I, I don't 24, even, 26, yeah. Because my full name is a lot of letters too, even though I is it? Yeah, Melissa Dinwiddie. That's just a lot of letters. Might not well, my, be twenty four, but my full name, like my real full name, is Jennifer Eileen Heffernan Brown. There's like I think you win, and like I know it's it's a lot. Although Dinwiddie is just constantly being misspelled. Although Heffernan is probably misspelled a lot too. So yeah, and people are like, <laughs> what Hefferman? Wait, what? Hef- what? <laughs> yeah. It's a fun one. Yeah, yeah we we share that pain, but. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm over on Instagram and I would, I would love to catch up with people over if, if you catch up over on Instagram, there's links to the tape of creative creative Sunday lab, all the things that I'm going to be doing going forward. And that's a really good place uh, to hang out and just see what I'm up to and maybe even see what I look like at the end of this transition. <laughs> yeah. Check it out and definitely follow Jenny. She's got so much going on. She's amazing. And just a wonderful creative spirit. 
So I'm so grateful to you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's always great fun and always so inspiring to chat with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jenny Heffernan-Brown. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or direct message with me on Instagram. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend, and I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review a sentence or two, letting me know what you like about the podcast. If you don't know how to do that, I got your cover. Just go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And if you email me to let me know that you left a review and how the podcast has made a difference in your life, that is how you apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. If I pick you, we'll have a really fun and relaxed conversation, just like I did with Jenny Heffernan-Brown, and you will get to be featured on the podcast. Super duper cool. Now, the reason that I ask you every week to leave a rating and review for the podcast is because that is how you can help other people find the show. Podcasts with more reviews, not just the five-star ratings, but actual sentences that people type in and say, I like this podcast because XYZ. Podcasts with more reviews, positive reviews, actually pop up higher in the search results when people are looking for a new podcast to listen to. So you can actually help other people find the show simply by navigating over to iTunes and leaving a review or navigating over to the Apple podcast player in your mobile device and leaving a review really, really makes a big difference. So I super duper appreciate it. And again, that's how you can get yourself on the show simply by leaving a review and letting me know you did. So that's it. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thanks for joining me. And go get creating. Creative Sandbox Way. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.